Good morning, TC. How y'all doing? It's good to be in the presence of God with you, and I get to bet lead off in preaching this series, and I'm excited about that. I mentioned earlier that when I played ball in high school, I wasn't good enough to bat lead off, but I get to do it for Jesus, and so that's good. I get to make up for some lost time. I'm really honored to share the Word of God with you, and Pastor Brad wasn't lying. I'm going to read a lot of Bible at the beginning, and so uh, our text this morning that we're going to draw from is First Chronicles chapter 17, and so if you have your Bibles, I want you to direct your attention to first chronicles chapter 17 and we're going to read the whole chapter don't worry we're not going to unpack it verse by verse don't have time for that but we are going to draw from it and so first chronicles chapter 17 we're going to start at verse number one. First chronicles chapter 17 and god's word says now when david lived in his house david said to nathan the prophet Behold, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of the covenant of the Lord is under a tent. And Nathan said to David, Do all that is in your heart, for God is with you. But that same night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, It is not you who will build me a house to dwell in, for I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up Israel to this day. But I have gone from tent to tent and from dwelling to dwelling in all places where I have moved with all Israel did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people saying why have you not built me a house of cedar verse 7 now therefore thus says thus shall you say to my servant David thus says the Lord of hosts I took you from the pasture from following the sheep to be prince over my people Israel And I have been with you wherever you have gone and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a name like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and I will plant them that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall waste them no more as formerly. From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will subdue all your enemies. Moreover, I declare to you that the Lord will build you a house. When your days are fulfilled to walk with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. I will not take my steadfast love from him as I took it from him who was before you, but I will confirm him in my house in my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And this was a small thing in your eyes, O God. You have also spoken to your servant's house for a great while to come and have shown me future generations, O Lord God. What more can David say to you for honoring your servant? For you know your servant. For your servant's sake, O Lord, and according to your own heart, you have done all this greatness in making known all these great things. There is none like you, O Lord, and there is no God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people, making for yourself a name? 
for great and awesome things and driving out nations before your people whom you have redeemed from Egypt. And you made your people Israel to be your people forever. And you, O Lord, became their God. And now, O Lord, let the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house be established forever and do as you have spoken. And your name will be established and magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, is Israel's God. And the house of your servant David will be established before you. For you, my God, have revealed to your servant that you will build a house for him. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray before you. And now, O Lord, you are God, and you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now you have been pleased to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue forever before you. For it is you, O Lord, who have blessed, and it is you, and it is blessed forever. Excuse me. This is the word of the Lord. Now, before we unpack this text this morning, I want to make a confession to you. I just want to share a little bit of my life with you very briefly and um, just want to let you know that I have a, a love for superhero movies. I'm, I'm really into them. I'm a big fan of the Marvel movies, the Star Wars series as well. And amen, amen. There's a fellow nerd in the room. That's always good. Now, when I say fan, I don't mean that I casually follow these movies. I mean that I read comics or graphic novels, if you're more mature. And I watch movies multiple times on opening weekends. I may or may not have a Darth Vader replica in my car right now with the lightsaber that when you plug it in, you know, he breathes deeply, you know, and so it gets louder. You can turn the volume up too. It's awesome. There's a good chance that I chose the car that I drive because it resembles a stormtrooper. Look at the front of it. You'll see what I'm talking about. My favorite snapback and t-shirt are filled with Marvel characters. I co-host a podcast dedicated to Marvel's Black Panther. And if Wakanda was a real country, I would have packed my family up and moved there long ago. Just throwing that out there. Now, God has graciously used my enthusiasm for superheroes to help me see that we have a tendency to create superheroes when we read our Bibles. When we engage the scriptures, we tend to do this thing where we sometimes domesticate God while elevating man. We do this thing where we try to put him in like these, these boxes while at the same time making much of ourselves. And maybe a part of that is that we love being at the center of all things, at the very root of our problem, at the very root of sin, is our desire to be at the center of all things. You know, one of the things that the Lord rescued us from is the fact that we love us some us. Have you noticed that about yourself? Like, if we're honest, we love us some us. We are the presidents, CEOs, CFO, COOs of the us fan club. Amen, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about. You're probably sitting by somebody that's really like that right now, and you can't amen too loud because they'll get the clue that you're talking about them. Sometimes we're not so subtle with it. Sometimes we amen at the same time elbowing the person that, okay, that's, that's different. You guys are way more spiritual than that. You don't do stuff like that. But if we're not careful, we'll insert ourselves 
at the center of God's great redemptive narrative, and that is not our place. We're not at the center. We are recipients of the grace of God. We are adopted sons and daughters into the family of God, and we are citizens of the kingdom of God, but we are not the center of the kingdom of God. It's not all about us. You know, one of the most helpful things that anybody ever told me or, 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 or uh, to be uh, more, uh, more honest or more factual that I've ever heard is the fact that God is for us, but God's not about us. I'm going to say that again. God is for us, but God is not all about us. We are not the center of the universe. And someone would say, well, God's a little conceited. Why does it have to be all about him? Why is everything centered on him? Why does it all have to be geared towards him? Well, let me ask you a question. Who is holier than God? Who's more majestic than God? Who's more beautiful than God? Who's more powerful than God? Who's wiser than God? Who's greater than God? Who inhabits a place that's above his? No one, right? No one. And that's why the first point that I want to make before we engage this text directly this morning is that even as we read from the word of God, we have to recognize that the central theme of scripture is the person and the work of Jesus Christ. That is the central theme of the Bible. It's all about Jesus. Scripture is theocentric. It is God-centered. It's Christocentric. It is Christ-centered. It is not anthropocentric. It is not man-centered. Scripture was given to us. God has graciously and mercifully revealed himself through the word. That's why we have the Bible. That's why we have this great gift. As a matter of fact, Paul told Timothy that the scriptures were able to make him wise unto salvation through Christ Jesus. That's why the word of God is so important. The word of God is designed to point us to God. Do you know that if God does not reveal himself, we would not know him? The only way that we could know God is that God graciously condescends for us to know him. And we can recognize God in creation, but we cannot salvifically know God apart from his word. And that's very important. The Bible is all about Jesus. And so as we establish that point, that is the lens through which I want us to engage this text this morning, I want to show you this morning that David had the script flipped on him long before it was ever flipped on us. And so here in this text, First Chronicles chapter 17, that we just read the whole chapter, right? We find here that David is at a point in his life where the bulk of his warfare is behind him. He's fought many battles. God has given him many victories. God has rescued him many times. And he's at this place where he's thinking about his legacy. David's thinking about what he is leaving behind. And there is this 
burning passion in David to build a place of worship. David is a worshiper. He loves the presence of God. He loves being before God. He loves to sing and he writes songs and he makes instruments. He's, he's not only a warrior, he's a worshiper. And he has this burning desire to build a place, to construct a central geographic location where people could come and worship the Lord, where the Ark of the Covenant would dwell, not just in a tent. And so David is sitting in this really, really nice house. And he's thinking to himself, man, I'm sitting in a house fit for a king. And yet the Ark of the Covenant that holds the tablets of the law, where the glory of God dwells, a physical manifestation of the presence of God on earth is in a tent. Something's not right about this. So he brings this concern up to Nathan the prophet. And Nathan the prophet says, hey, everything that's in your heart, do it. But then, later on, the Lord speaks to Nathan and says, listen, um, I know you just had told him that everything in his heart, he's free to do, but that's not going to happen. I have a word for you. I want you to go back to David, and I want you to tell him that he's not going to build me a house. He's not going to be the one. As a matter of fact, it's going to be his son that builds the house, but it's not going to be him. See, my second point to you is the fact that in this text, we see that God's purpose superseded David's passion. Building a central place of worship is not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing to want. It's a very good thing to want. And David wanted this good thing, but it wasn't God's purpose for him. Let me ask you something. What do we do when our passion doesn't line up with God's purpose? What do we do where even the good things that we're pursuing don't line up with God's plan for our lives? See, that's why that advice do everything that's in your heart is not always good advice. And we do. We live in a culture. We live in a day and age where people's like, whatever's right for you, just do it. Does it feel good? Does it make you happy? Does it fill your heart with butterflies and rainbows whenever you engage in it? Well, do it. I think you should do it. Do everything in your heart. That's some of the worst advice ever. Some of the worst advice ever. See, because I believe that I'm speaking to a room full of people that if we are honest, we will say that the times where we have followed our hearts, we have gotten into some serious trouble. Serious. Some of us are still dealing with the consequences of following our hearts. Right now in this room. Some of you might be sitting by some, okay, let me just, all right, all right, okay, okay. That's, that's far enough. That's. That's far enough. Let's just stop right there, okay? That's, that's not even right. <laughs> Don't be looking side eye at the person next to you, all right? Because if y'all married, that's it. I know. <laughs> you done now. <laughs> but we have this tendency to justify with our minds what our hearts want, even when it doesn't line up with God's purpose. We don't like for people to tell us no. People leave the church when you tell them no. You ain't not, see, okay, come on. 
Pastor, I just really had this thing, and I was just thinking, like, yeah, I just wanted to do it, and I just really feel like God speaking to me. And, 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 and then your elders or your pastor, your leaders or small group leaders go, I don't think that's God. Oh, so now you're going to tell me who's, okay, you know what, that's it, I'm out. And we've had, we see that happen a lot. But then again, that's a different series, that's a different message. We're talking about David, we ain't talking about us, are we? What do we do when the good thing we're after doesn't line up with God's purpose? Here's what we do. We remember that God is the one who is all-knowing and we're not. We remember that God's wisdom is infinite and our wisdom is so limited. We don't even know what we don't know. We don't have his vantage point. And the truth of the matter is, I don't like it when God tells me no. But I have to trust that he sees what I cannot see. He knows what I don't know. And he desires my good more than I desire my own good. Nobody wants you blessed like God himself. God wants your good more than we do. Because if we're honest, we even sabotage ourselves. We do stuff sometimes. <laughs> we do stuff sometimes so it's like look okay can I just say this now watch this anybody's been seeing that LeBron James meme you know where somebody did something incredibly like this mistake and LeBron James has his hands out like this you know and if you're if you're you know if you're a parent or if you've worked with children you can relate to that gesture why'd you do that and it's always I don't know And sometimes I believe like if we could see like the Lord, he's like, why? I'm trying to help you. And we're like, I, I don't know why I did that. You gave me something really good and I just messed it up. It's just... <laughs> Some level, man, it's just kind of what we do. But thank God that he is gracious and he's merciful. And I'm so grateful that God's more faithful than I am. He's more steadfast than me, man. Let me just say this. If I'm really honest... I don't believe like I should all the time. I don't pray like I should all the time. I don't act like I should all the time. I'm not steadfast, but he is. And his steadfastness and his faithfulness and his grace, his mercy and the eternal nature of his love swallows up all of our insufficiencies and our shortcomings. So grateful for that, but I got to keep moving. God basically told David in this text that he would father his son. That's an amazing statement for the Lord to make. I says, you're not going to finish this. I know you have all of this stuff in your heart that you want to do, but you're not going to do it, son. My purpose goes beyond the span of your life. I'm going to say that again. God's purpose goes beyond the spans of our lives. And it just may be a lot of the things that even you're working on right now are not for you. They're for the folks coming after you. And we have to learn how to have peace with that. There are things that you are laying your life down for right now that you will not see the fruit of. You're not going to see the fruit of it. You're not going to see the benefit. And you have to be okay with that. There is stuff that some of y'all are doing that you will not get the credit for publicly. You're not going to get called on the stage. You're not going to get a standing ovation. 
And you have to be okay with the fact that God sees your labor and God knows your name. Amen. The third thing that David understood and came to recognize in this text that we can all learn from is this right here. David was never the hero. It was always God. The Lord speaks to David and specifically in verses 7 to 9, we don't have time to read it all, but God says, I took you from the sheep pasture. I gave you victory. I set you up. As a matter of fact, you want to build a house for me, but I'm going to build a house for you. God was always the hero in David's life and in David's story, and David knew that. But here we find in this text, God is graciously reminding David that he's always been the hero of the story. And if we're honest, man, sometimes we have a problem with that. There are times where we mistakenly believe that God needs our help. Like, listen, Holy Spirit, so I know that you can bring dead people to life. Like, I know that it was by your power that Christ resurrected from the grave. I know that it was you that descended upon the body of Christ in the bodily form of a dove when he was baptized by his cousin, John the baptizer in the river Jordan. I know you're awesome. You can convict. You can convert. It's what you do. But my husband or my wife or my children or my coworkers or my fellow church members are not really coming along as quick as I think they should. So if you don't mind, I'm going to take over. Okay, I've got some words that I want to say. I want to try to manipulate, excuse me, not manipulate, but I want to try to encourage... um, things in such a way so that we can just go ahead and get this ball rolling because I don't really like waiting and you probably have other stuff to do and other people to deal with so I'm gonna help you out Holy Ghost because after all if you don't know I'm awesome and you need me we would never say that stuff out loud well some of y'all might be that bold now we never say that but don't we do it yo don't we do it We're like, man, look, I've been praying for this salvation thing for a long time, Lord, and you're just not moving quick enough. So, you know, I'm just going to stop cooking for him. And uh, (laughs) this thing speeded up here. Speed this process up, Lord. I'm going to withhold affection. I'm going to start dropping subtle hints. And if you notice, our subtle hints are never subtle, right? Here's the thing. God don't need our help. Doesn't need our help. Hey, he not only has the person you're concerned about, he's got you too, along with everything else. And we have to trust and believe that the same God who upholds all things by the word of his power can meet us where we are and do what needs to be done. Amen. My fourth and final point that I want to share with you is the fact that as I was reading this text, couldn't help but notice the reality that everybody wants to be the hero, but in reality, we're the ones that are in dire need of rescue. And we have a tough time admitting that about ourselves, right? 
We mask it in different ways. Well, you know, I'm more of an independent personality. You know, I don't really need people. You know, I don't need help. Uh, you know, I don't ask for it. That's my Chris Farley impression. That's for a lot of y'all's time. But, you know, the thing is, we all need to be rescued. David got that. He was reminded of all of those times he was faced with insurmountable odds, and yet God had come through for him time and time and time again. And it wasn't just when David was doing everything right that God came through for him. It's when David had blew it. It's when David had done everything wrong. It's when David was on the rooftop and he should have been at war and he saw a woman who was not his wife bathing and he looked at her and he desired her and then he had her come over to his crib and then they ended up making a baby and then he had her husband killed. Where the Lord didn't leave him, God still was his hero. Through his failures as a father, God was still the hero. And that's why David responded, who am I? Who am I that you would do this good for me? Here's what David was saying in essence. As I'm before you, Father, I know that I don't deserve the good that I've received from you. And yet you have been so good to me. Is there anybody under the sound of my voice that the Spirit of God has brought to the realization that the good stuff that you have in your life, you know you don't deserve it, but God has been good to you? Is there anybody, you take the time to look around at the stuff you have and you recognize, God, you've been good to me. I'm married to an amazing woman. We've been married for almost two decades, man. And, I, and, and, and our family, I'm so grateful. And one of the things that I recognized was that in the beginning parts of our marriage, I did everything I could to destroy it. And yet God, in the midst of my ignorance and my rebellion and my sin, he held it together. And I'm reminded, man, on a daily basis, God, you've been good to me. Who am I that I get to do what I do? Go where I go. Who am I? He's been good to us, y'all. David responded with humility and with submission. And one of the other things that I love about this text is that in this text, in the process of God promising that he would father his son. Y'all know he's a better parent than us. Y'all know he's a better parent than us, right? Like some of us, you're trying to protect your kids from the world and then you grow up to realize God's been protecting them from you the whole time. Okay, I'm going to move on. In the midst of God telling David this, there is this foreshadowing of a kingdom that's going to last forever. What's he, what's he doing here? We have a messianic promise. He's promising the Savior. 
He's letting us know once again, just as he let them know in this text, that from this lineage, the one would be born, the God-man, God the Son, the Word made flesh, who would live the life that we never could have lived, only to die the death that we deserve to die, to atone for our sins, to set us free from the penalty of sin, to set us free from the power of sin and death. This is an amazing text. And you see what God is doing here is that he's flipping the script on David. But he's not doing so in a way that diminishes David. This is an act of his grace and his mercy. See, When God flips the script on us, what he's doing is he is setting us free from our narrow perspectives in order to give give us a glimpse of his so that we could at least see a portion from his vantage point. David understood that it was God who rescued him. David understood that it was God who was at the center, and David understood that he could not rescue himself. And so this morning, I know that we get dressed nice, at least in a clean t-shirt, right, if you're somebody like me. And we come here and we lift our hands and we sing these awesome songs that are led by amazing people who serve the Lord faithfully. And when people ask us how we're doing, we know how to smile. Say, I'm doing great. How are you? I'm blessed, highly favored. There are so many times, whether on a Sunday morning or sitting in your small groups, you're masking pain with your smile. You're masking shame with your intellect. You're masking the hurts of the past with what you drive. You're masking your deficiencies by where you went to school, what institution you matriculated from. One of the things that I love about God is that in his presence, we don't have to do any of that. even if we feel the temptation that if people knew who we really were they would reject us that's never true of God and when we're in his presence I don't care how dark or dirty or messy or grimy filthy your issue may be There is a God who rescues. There is a God who saves. There is a God who delivers. There is a God who sets free. Before I pray with you, I just want to encourage you with this. Whatever game you may be playing, whatever way you've been trying to prop yourself up, how about we just not do that? How about we just learn how to fall apart? Everybody has to have a place where they can just fall apart. Say, God, I need you. 
in here right now say, I, I'm somebody that needs God's help. Your hand is raised. You do something. Can you stand with me? Because I'm standing already and I'm telling you, I need his help. You hear me? I need his help. I've got issues that I don't even know about yet. And I need his help. And there's only one that can rescue. There's only one that can heal. There's only one that can save. There's only one that can deliver. And we've got to come to this place where we learn how to just say goodbye to our dignity. Call on the name of the Lord. You don't have to know a ton of scripture to pray this kind of prayer. You ain't got to be perfect people to say this kind of prayer. As a matter of fact, there are no perfect people. If you run into one, tell them Pastor Aaron said they're liars. But leave all that stuff behind and call on his name. Can we just do that just for like two minutes? Can we do that? I don't know your issue, but I trust that as I've been preaching, God has used the foolishness of my preaching to reveal things in your heart that he's putting his finger on in this moment. Saying, son, daughter, I want to deal with that. So, Father, right now in this moment, Lord, as I stand here before your precious people, and even as I stand here before those God of heaven and earth who have yet to bow their knee to you in humble submission and obedience, you know our issues, God. You know the things that we're ashamed of. You know the things that we try to hide. You know the things that we try to paint over and gloss over. You know the things that we're compensating for, God. You know these things and you know the games that we play. God of heaven and earth, by your eternal love and the power of your spirit, would you pierce through every defense that we have tried to prop up to protect ourselves. Because the truth of the matter is, God, we cannot. We need you to rescue us. We need you to break shame. We need you to heal broken hearts. We need you to restore relationships. We need you, God, to provide. We need you to make a way, God. We need you to set us free from our past, God. We need you to give us the power to function in the light of your truth where we have been snared by the lies of the enemy. We need you right now in this moment, Father, to come and break the power of every satanic lie, every demonic lie, God. We need you that you would begin to speak into our spirits, that you would speak clearly, that we would know your greatness and your might and your goodness, your grace, your mercy and your love, God. And that we would begin to see how you delight in us, how you have set us free, how we are secure, how we are loved, God. And that we would begin to walk in the light of who you've created us to be in Christ. You would comfort like only you can would do within us what only you can do God of heaven and earth in Jesus name we pray amen amen thank you so much for letting me share with y'all this morning do me a favor just 
for a moment. You can be seated. It's fine. For just a moment, I want everyone, let's all bow our heads today. Let's close our eyes. And maybe in, in this place, we want to take a moment and recognize that maybe you're in a place right now in your life where things are going extremely well, but yet there's this tug in your spirit that something is missing. Or maybe in your life right now, things have never been worse. You're hitting the bottom. And you're recognizing that today, the difference, the thing that you need in your life today is Jesus the one that can make all things brand new. Maybe you say, Pastor, I've, I've, I've been religious. I, maybe I, I've gone to church or I've done these things or I've done those things. But today I, I could honestly say that my life doesn't belong to Jesus. And I could honestly say that today I don't know where my eternity stands. But on, in my heart, in my spirit, God is doing a work. He, he's, he's tugging on my heart. He's, he's reminding me that there's something missing and that something is him. And today I want to, I need to acknowledge that, but I also need to respond. And I need to put Jesus first in my life today. I need to give my life to him. And if that's you today, and no matter where you're at, if you've been a part of TC since the first Sunday we started, or if this is your very first time walking in the doors of a church, we want you to know that Jesus is here to transform your life. And if that's you today, like Pastor Aaron said, you're tired of trying to be a hero and you're realizing that you never can be, but Jesus is here to be your hero. The beauty of the gospel is this, that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but the Bible says that in that Jesus chose to go to the cross so that we wouldn't have to pay for our own sins. And today, to receive grace and mercy in your life, all you have to do is put your faith in him. And with every eye closed and with your head bowed today, if that's you, you say, Pastor, I want to give my life to Jesus today. Today. I want to re-give my life. I want to give my life back to Jesus. I want to dedicate. I want to go forward with him. I want him to take control. I want to give him everything today. I'm tired of trying to do it my way, and I want to do it his way, and I want to surrender to him today. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to point you out. I'm not going to come to you. We want to pray for you today, and we want to celebrate with you today that today is the day that all things get to be made brand new. And if that is you right now, again, no one's looking around. I just want you to raise your hand right where you sit. That's me, Pastor. I want to give my life to Jesus today. So many hands are going up right now. I'm not even going to try to count them. If that's you today, you have a moment right now. You have a chance right now. Once you put it up, you can put it back down. I want Jesus to take control of my life, Pastor. I want to surrender everything to him right now. Is there anyone else? I want Jesus to take control. Amazing. Eight to 10 hands, 12 hands have already gone up. Is there anyone else? If you're watching us online, Pastor, that's me. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to surrender to him today. I want him to take control. This is what we're going to do right now. We're going to pray a prayer. The whole church is going to pray it with you. Now, let me remind you that if you pray this prayer, this prayer in and of itself doesn't make you saved. Your heart giving your life to Jesus today, putting your faith in what he did on the cross, repenting of our sins, turning away, not to go back. But then we put our faith that when Jesus went to the cross, he paid for my sins and he paid for yours. That alone is what makes you saved today. But then the Bible says we confess with our mouth that he is Lord. And so right now we're going to pray a prayer together if you raise your hands, but the whole church is going to pray with you. So you're not praying it by yourself. And if you're watching us online, we encourage you to join in with us today to church. Let's pray this prayer with our brothers and sisters and confess with our mouth that Jesus is the Lord of our life. Say, dear Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of my wrongs. Make me clean. 
Make me pure. Make me whole. I believe that you lived the perfect life. I believe that you died on the cross. And I believe that you rose three days later. Through your life, through your death, and through your resurrection, you've made a way that I can be saved. So Jesus, I want to follow you. I give you my life. I give you my heart. I give you my future. I give you my purpose. Take control today. I want to follow you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. TC, let's put our hands together for all those that prayed that. Perhaps the very first time we celebrate with you. Amazing, amazing, amazing.